Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragdom gal. And welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing. Remember, this is widescreen podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Walls, and I hope you're all well, safe and sound. Folks, as you know, I've been doing this podcast for around five years now. And in that time, I've only spoken to one member of Paul McCartney's inner circle, that being a member of Wings. And that's all going to change today, everyone. Yes, you've all read the title. I've probably been plugging it on the Twitter and on the Facebook like mad. I have indeed finally had a conversation with another member of Wings. This time, it's fucking Denny Sywell. Come on, folks. Yes, we're finally here. As I'm sure most of you will know, Denny Sywell was Paul's drummer from Ram up until his leaving the band around Band on the Run, and he is widely regarded as one of, if not the best of drummers Paul McCartney has ever worked with. In this episode, we're going to be speaking about Denny and Ram and Wings, of course, but in addition to the digressions that I'm very proud I actually got out of him, we are here today to talk about Ram On, the 50th anniversary tribute to Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram. If you aren't in the know... Denny and producer Fernando Podomo have put together an amazing new tribute album covering the entirety of Ram in order. Of course, we'll be getting into how all of that came about shortly, but let me just say, I have heard some of the album already. You can listen to it right now at the time of this episode airing. And fortunately for me, being someone who has a lot of pre-order anxiety, you know, when you pre-order something and you're worried whether it's going to be any good or not. And from what I've heard from Ramon, my purchase was not futile. It was not wasted. I cannot wait for the full thing to come out. It seems to be full of life and passion and a real love for the material. It seems to have really captured the same kind of vibe and atmosphere. Of course, folks, none of you will suffer fools gladly, and you'll know all too well that while it's nice for Denny to have something to plug, the real reason this episode exists is because I want to talk to him. (laughs) Any excuse to get him on here, I will take. You know, he was so open and forthcoming with everything. He answered all of my questions. And even when we were coming to like the half an hour point when I thought he had to go, he was like, no, no, stay a little longer and we'll get everything covered I didn't have the heart to tell him that that would mean he would have to stay here for another couple of hours if I had it my way. But he is a busy guy after all. Um, So busy, in fact, you may have actually seen him on some rival podcast networks. Uh, After this episode I did with Denny, he and co-producer Fernando did a bunch of internet uh, interviews as a duo. However, I never knew Fernando was going to be up for the chat up until that point because I'd already just booked it with Denny solo. And... So originally I was going to speak with Fernando separately and put that at the end of this episode and make it a big bumper special. However, my chat with Fernando is so long and so freestanding. It is its own thing that I thought it would just be best to make that its own episode. So look out for that very shortly indeed. 
Also, just before we start, let me just say, my audio over the next couple of episodes, uh, including this one, is going to be a bit ropey, folks. That lovely new mic that I used the Patreon money for, that you wonderful folks out there bought for me, is now playing up with Audacity. All of my USB mics are, for some reason, I might have to look into either new software or rebooting my Mac, something like that. But yeah, I've just been using the Mac's own microphone for the next few episodes, and some of that ends up being a bit ropey, especially since it's being put through Zoom and that kind of stuff cuts out whenever it fucking well wants to. So apologies if the audio in these next couple of episodes are a little bit ropey, like I say, but let's not get too hung up on it. Denny's audio sounds fine. Though before we can get to Denny, we must get through the... Housekeeping! So what do we have in terms of news for today, everyone? Well, like I say, the Ram On tribute album has released a teaser video of the entire thing. Essentially, it's going to show a sample of each song with the full credits, you know, who was on each production. Links for that will all be down below. Make sure you check it out, folks, because it really got me excited for this cover album. And I think it'll do the same for you. Maybe go and check it out before this interview with Denny. You know, I'll just be here doing the housekeeping till you return. What else do we have? Well, another version of Three Imagined or Three Imagined has been made available for pre-order. This time it's a very alluring dark green vinyl that appears to have the same artwork similar to the Splatter edition of the album. And that is available through the online store youdiscovermusic.com. Also, speaking of Three Imagined, Three Imagined, Paul's people have also uploaded the preview of Slide-In to YouTube. Rather like the video for Find My Way, it's another one of those stop-motion visualizer loop, kind of like TikTok, Instagram video kind of things. Very interesting again, this is another remix. They are focusing on the remixes here. Um, it would be nice if we had another full-on music video though, like that Dominic Fike one. I'd really like to see something like that again. Obviously, I won't be doing a review of the music till the album comes out on the 16th. Although, I will say I'm not quite as taken by this remake as the Beck one. Uh, this It's kind of like a Wings Over America-esque remix in the sense that it speeds things up and makes it heavier. Though, until I hear it within the full context of this covers album, I am asking myself whether we needed that from the heaviest and fastest songs on the original McCartney 3. I guess we'll find out next month, eh? Enough news now, let's get on with the plugs. To get in contact with the show, please email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always love to read out your correspondence here on the show, whether it's Paul McCartney related, Paul or nothing related, Beatle related, whether it's got something to do with you, maybe you just want to say hi or point out a flaw in this podcast. Regardless, I want to hear it. And we actually do have a quick email to read out here today. And it's a new type of email as it's much more of a request to use me as a shady middleman, which I'm totally fine with. I always like to be made to feel more important in the smallest of ways possible. She's a first-time writer. Her name is Kristen, and she says, Good afternoon. Thank you for your own podcast and social media presence. Your insights have been lovely during the necessary COVID-19 sequestrations. I especially enjoyed your most recent session with Mr. Joe Wisby of Beatles Book fame. His postings have also made the current year-plus environment much more bearable. 
I actually have an extra reading copy of Pete Shotton's Lennon-related book, and I would love to send it to him. I am in the US, however, and I don't belong on social media, and he doesn't seem to have a posted email address. I was wondering if you might be able to forward this note. I appreciate all of your help and consideration. I hope you're all safe and well. All best wishes, Kristen. Of course, Kristen, thank you so much for getting in touch with the show again. Thank you so much for listening and for giving me an email to pad out this section of the show, you know, rather than emailing Joe directly. I mean, boy, oh boy, does this make me feel like someone in the know. Like, you know, when someone says, I know a guy who knows a guy. Well, I feel like that guy. Hopefully it'll come to the point where I become some sort of magic Alex charlatan of the Beatles podcasting world. Hopefully I'll also hear back from Joe shortly about how the book got to him safely and how grateful he is to have it in his collection and how he'll repay me by name-dropping me in a future episode or two. Wink. Anyway, folks, if you haven't heard my chat with Joe from Beatles Books, then go back and listen to it because you are doing a disservice to yourself. It is very eye-opening indeed. As for you, Kristen, I'm so glad that the show has brought you some comfort during lockdown and don't hesitate to send me other requests to send guests of mine some of your stuff in the future like i say to get in contact with the show email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com and i can be your messenger boy to follow us every day for more constant updates follow us on our twitter which is at mccartneypod for extra paul or nothing written blog content check out the sister blog which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com Follow us on all of the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. At the time of recording, we actually have brand new exclusive content on the YouTube page. Both of them are highlight episodes from recent interviews. The first will be a five-minute segment from this episode you're listening to right now. Hopefully you've already seen it. And another is of next week's episode, my interview with Fernando Podomo. Basically, all episodes that I'm doing now that have a recorded Zoom element, I will now be doing these video highlights. And if you want to see the full video, well, stick around to the Patreon plug in just a second. But before that, if you want to help out the show right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please leave a review for the show. It really helps us out in a big way, gives us that exposure. It boosts us up in the algorithms. If you could say something particularly nice about the show, give us the old five star, say something very complimentary indeed, then that would be very touching now, wouldn't it? But you're not forced to, folks. Hey, give us a one star review if you like. I like to read them out on the show. And finally, everyone, if you want to help out the show directly, if you want to help see us grow, if you want to, or if you want to just help keep the lights running, then please consider joining our Patreon family. Yes, folks, Patreon is the one way that you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself by chucking a couple of dollars at my face down the internet every month. Though it is not without benefit. You get early access to all episodes. You get all the behind-the-scenes notes and scripts that I use for the show, as well as full uncut video interviews. You get full uncut raw audio from older episodes, especially like real ones from the vaults that I've just stumbled across. And you get a couple of bonus extras that I can't even really talk about here right now. But yeah, folks, I'd just like to thank the growing Patreon family. Some of you out there have reached out and helped swell our ranks, as it were. 
First of all, we have Mr. Richard Driver, who I think we should have given a shout out on last week's episode. But hey, better late than never. Thank you so much for supporting the show, dude. I hope you're getting value for money and enjoying all of the new bonus features. You really have picked a good time to join, actually. And secondly, I want to thank Mr. Christian Perry for joining the cause. I'm glad you think the show is worth it. Hats off to you, my man. Thank you for putting your money where your mouth is and helping me pay off copies of Three Imagined and Ram on that. In all honesty, I probably don't need. So yeah, thank you to everyone in the family. Christian Perry, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Biddington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Lou DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia L, Robert Carabelli, Warren Butson, and my man, Matt Phillips. Folks, I've tried to make this opening as quick as I honestly can because who wants to hear me talk when we can listen to Denny Sywell, someone who's actually in Wings? Oh my God, folks, I can't believe this episode is finally happening. I'm nervous to even cut to the audio now because it's just it's just Titanic, this whole ep- 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 episode is. You know, I thought we'd get half an hour out of Denny, which would become maybe 25 good minutes, but no. Here's a solid 40 minutes with Denny Sywell. Let's go. Now, everyone, it's time for me to bring on today's guest, the man I'm speaking with. Really requires no introduction. You'll have heard me mention his name on this podcast countless times. And regardless of whether any of this audio is usable at the other end, I'm just happy to have the pleasure of speaking with him today. He's a many things, folks, a renowned session musician, member of my favourite band and the drummer on my favourite album of all time, But not only that, he's gone and co-produced a 50th anniversary tribute to said album. Everyone, I cannot believe it either. I am kindly joined today by Denny Sywell. Please, everyone, welcome him to the show. Denny, how you doing, my friend? Good morning from Los Angeles, a 90-degree weather. (laughs) Well, you've just answered my next question, which is where where are you calling from and what's the weather like? So thank thank, thank you for that. It's beautiful out here. My pool, my pool is heated. I'm ready to jump in when these interviews are over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you're on the old uh, promotional wagon then. I, so I'll try and make this as unique for you as possible. Are the viewers, uh, our listeners, are they seeing this as well as hearing it? Some will, some won't. Um, it'll, well, I it'll... well, I apologize for having a case of pink eye when I got up. I don't know what that's all about. No but... worries. Well, just forward, you know. <laughs> Only the people who are paying will uh, have the pleasure of seeing that, so it's really right. not an issue. But let me just say thank you for this. This is a real dream in- interview for me. Ram's been my favourite album since university, so that's a better part of a decade now since I first You're started. You're not alone there. A lot of people are coming out of the woodwork and saying, Ram was my favourite record too. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? There's been a, a lot of vindication about, about that album. I mean, do you remember the original reviews of Ram back in the day? Sure, they bashed it. They did not like it at all. And I was just on the phone with, with Lee Eastman Jr. And, uh, mm. you know, he was saying, like, how so one of the guys that he was a manager of some big band, but he, he bashed the hell out of it in the press and everything. And now he's calling it his favorite record, you know. And that was <laughs> a, a lot of people were the same, you know. The fellow that runs the Beatles channel here in in in, uh, in New York, you know, the Rams is fa- everybody I know, and that's this record that we did was everybody involved come from that place where Ram meant so much to it when it, to them when it was released, and it is their favorite record. So this record is that we've done is nothing but love and joy. 
Everybody yeah. was happy. Let's just uh, inform everyone what this new album is, if they're not already. Coming out on May 14th, 2021, we have Ram On, the 50th anniversary tribute to Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram. I've already pre-ordered my copy. Cannot wait. Please tell me, though, uh, what first inspired you to return to, to Ram after all these years? Well, this fellow that I met, this chap that I've met, <laughs> uh, Fernando Perdomo, he's a multi-instrument talented guy. He's got a little home studio, uh, a garage studio up in Reseda you know, that really works well. Anyway, he, I kept running into him at, at events, and, uh, and he was one of those guys that you say, is this guy just a rabid fan or what? <laughs> but he just wanted to spend some time with me because Ram meant so much to him. And, and, you know, one day he called me up out of the blue, this was a couple of years ago, or a year ago at least. He said, hey, would you like to come up to the studio and just put some drums on? I've done a version of Too Many People and Some People Never Know. And I said, well, why are you doing that? He said, just for me. <laughs> yes. And it was during the lockdown, so I thought, yeah, I'd like to go safely see somebody. It's just me and him in, in a quite... You know, a large studio, but anyway, I went and I put drums down. It took me, you know, two passes at each song because I remember the music. And um, like a year later, he says, do you know that it's 50th anniversary time coming up this year? And I went, what? And really, it came as a surprise to me. I forgot that we did that in 71. And um, so he said, why don't we do the whole album? And I said, geez, I don't think so. But I'll tell you, this guy is so talented that once we started to record, he would, you know, lay down a, a guitar part or something, and then I'd put drums on it, and they'd just send it out to people, and people would, and he would organize the whole thing uh, in his studio in Reseda. And it was so easily done in lockdown that after a couple of tracks, I mean, I really got into it, and I said, let's do this. And so let, one day, for example, um, he said, let's get a, a big chunk of this done. Um, so can you come up for the afternoon and we'll try to get as many drum tracks as we can get so it's, we're, you know, in the height of the lockdown, so it's safe. So we masked up and everything. He's on one side of the room, on the, I'm on the other. I did eight drum tracks in like three hours' time. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it blew my mind. But I remember all of the music because I, I sometimes do a clinic uh, to Ram album, uh, when I'm at appearing at Beatle Fests and stuff, mm. I'll just play along with the CD, and because people don't get to see the musicians that played on that record or hear that music other than on the CD itself, so so it was really nice, and uh, so the music was still fresh to me, and I was used to playing it, and it just it fell off my tongue like I was uh, speaking to an old friend. How often do you find yourself listening to your old music? From the seventies, Oh, uh, not that often. Mm -hmm. Not that often, but when when you know you're driving down the street and one of the songs comes on, and you say, "Oh my God, wow, that was really good." <laughs> and then you go back and check it out. But through this project, you know, I had to like when we got into it, I spent some time listening to Ram and and Paul's production on that record was spot on. I mean, he he really went out of its way here, and I believe that it was. It was one of those times where Linda kicked them in the butt. They were in Scotland. He says, come on, let's go make stuff. You're a writer. You're a, you're a composer. You're a, a musician. Let's go make stuff. And they came to New York 
they always, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. <laughs> Came to New York, made a few phone calls, found a, me first. They, they auditioned some drummers, and they, he, he Paul liked me the best, and the, uh, got a guitar player, Dave Spinoza, and we went in, and uh, I think it was just all the newness, and uh, the, okay, here comes something new. We're going to come make so, something, make stuff. And uh, it was such an amazing experience. The first song we recorded was uh, Another Day. And we're listening to Paul's playing the song on the guitar. And all of a sudden, it goes from 4-4 into 3-4. And Spinoza and I look at each other, like our heads explode. And, and we say, oh, my God, did you hear that? And that was the first song we recorded. And we knew we were in for a real treat because everybody knew the possibility of, of a Beatle or especially Paul McCartney, what that recording session could be like. But it was far above anything we imagined. And it was, it was unreal. Every day the songs would come in and you, oh my God, yeah, we couldn't wait to get to it. You know, and we never spent more than one day on a song. Really? That's even, wow. Not even a full day. Yeah. So would it be pretty pretty much Paul would just come in, run run through the chords once or twice, and then you'd jam it out? Or would there be a, well, I want this, and then I want that, and then you no, come no, in no. here? And... We, well, I wouldn't say jam it out. You're talking about professional New York studio musicians. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's yeah, our yeah, job, yeah, though. Hear the song, you know, uh, make mental notes for the verse, chorus, bridge, any other, any other stuff, you know, you, you make these mental notes so that, a couple of times where you get the chords right, and now you have the form right. You're going to do a verse, a chorus, a verse, a chorus, a bridge, a chorus, a verse, you know, whatever the form is. And then you get into it and start making up parts. And uh, it was, you know, it was really easy for me because I just, I said to myself, what would Paul or Ringo play on this? Mm-hmm. Paul's a pretty fair drummer, by the way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, from listening to the McCartney album, I thought, how would he approach the drum part on this song while he's playing it to me and and I was just making a vague attempt at that so that I could put myself into it but know the direction he would like mm. so it worked out very there was only one time that he asked me to change what I'd come up with and that was on Uncle Albert on the beginning of Uncle Albert he asked me to to play a part that was much more sparse and went along with the vocal had some some I was playing kind of a normal slow beat in there, and he asked me to change it up, and I, I thought about it for a second. I came up with uh, what's on the record. He loved it, and that, that was the only thing. That sounds like another one of those classic moments that they didn't press the record button for, unfortunately, like uh, the original take of Road All Night or something like that, you know? Well, that was, uh, we'd come back from lunch one one day, and the, I think it, it might have been a Friday because the engineers had started packing up some of the mics. <laughs> and, uh, and Paul was, he came back from lunch, and he was in a mood to jam. He wanted to have some fun, and he picked up his old Firebird. And I started slamming on the drums, and, and you know, like we were like we were working up a lather, man. We were, we had a sweat going on, <laughs> and uh, he started singing. Oh, yeah! I said I wrote all night. I wrote all night till I finally hit the daybreak. Now to me. When I heard that, I went, wow, maybe he's just excited and happy that he's making music with somebody other than the Beatles. Mm. 
I wrote all night till I finally hit the because that was going on. That, the end of the Beatles was going on already. And to me, he told me that's nah, you're, you're crazy. But uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what it meant to me. And so we're we're slamming away. And with the engineers, you know, there there were coat and ties and everything, just like schooled. And uh, we're looking at him like, "Ain't you guys recording this?" And Paul went, "You know, <laughs> he made some gestures and get going." And they're running out here, they're setting the mics up and everything. Oh, okay, Paul, we stopped playing for a second. I mean, he goes, "Okay, Paul, we got it now. We're ready." And Paul and I looked at each other like, "What? <laughs> You're ready now? You missed it, you?" So we said, all right, here we go, one, two, and we started in again, and uh, and it was just as good. It, we you still. Know, it's so funny, because the next album starts with Paul going, take it, Tony. So it's like he's, oh, yeah. he's yeah, taking yeah. control of those, of those we, pesky engineers, you know? We were down there at Abbey Road just slamming away on Mumbo, and Paul looks up, it's like, they're not recording this, the light's not on. So, take it, Tony. And I think he started the machines, just as Paul said, take it, Tony. <laughs> going back to when uh, you were going through your own interpretation of Road or Night, was is there or was there ever a moment where Paul sat down and went, "This is what the song's about" in a very matter-of-fact way, or would he just present lyrics? No, no, no. We were all big boys there. He hired the, you know, he hired the big boys, the guys that, that we were making a record in two days. You know, like we'd go in. And, Recorded four songs in three hours and stuff like that, uh, making records with Billy Joel and John Denver and James Brown, all kinds of people. We were we were recording records every day, and so we were on top of our game. We knew how to take a new song, turn it into a, a record, and play the parts proficiently, so that you don't have to spend a lot of time with mistakes. That's why you hire a New York session man and you pay him like you pay a New York session man. Speaking of some of the other session musicians you had, obviously for, for, for this new album, Ramon, you, you also brought back Dave uh, Spinoza and Marvin Stamm. Was it fun getting the old band back together, oh, yeah. as it were? You know? I called them up. I said, hey, we're doing a remake of the whole damn album. And Spinoza said, really? And... You know, Dave only had the pleasure of working uh, on, I don't know how many tracks he played on, but uh, there was a situation where Paul asked me to, to recommend another guitar player. Not that he didn't like, he loved Dave's playing, but Dave was a bit of a nutcase. I mean, he would, we would go into the studio and uh, we'd, we'd like go into the control room to listen to a take and, and Dave would go and he'd, he'd goose Paul, you know, pinch his ass and shit like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was the right nutter. And, it, it, you know, Paul Not wasn't him. used to that, that American, you know, we have a whole way of, of having fun in the studio. And it, it kind of threw him for a loop a little bit. And uh, so anyway, he, he loved his playing, though, I must say. But he, he said, maybe, maybe we should get another guitar player because... Spinoza was really busy too and he had to leave one day he had to leave early when Paul asked us not to take any dates while we were in recording and that was another thing Paul said well let's try another guy do you have somebody you'd recommend and I said well if you're going to let uh, if you're going to bring somebody else in the right guy is Hugh McCracken yes and, uh, and Hugh came in and Paul just fell in love with him immediately everybody did you know 
he was soft-spoken and played so beautiful. He came from another place, another source. I've got to tip my hat to you for that because yeah. Hugh McCracken is my – oh, he's such an incredible guitar really? player on that album. Was there ever a conversation where Hugh McCracken was going to be in Wings? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, when I, when I was asked, I don't know, three, four months after the album was out and was doing well in the States, Paul called and said, would you and your missus like to come over and, you know, just take a vacation, go up to the farm in Scotland, just hang out? And I said, yeah, because my wife's French. We could go down to see her family in France, you know, get over on the continent. So anyway, we're there. And he said, oh, Hugh McCracken's coming, too. Uh, he's on tour, getting off a tour with Gary Wright. So he's going to come up to the farm, too. And uh, I went, oh, great. So the four of us, Monique and I, and Huey and Holly, his wife, were, were staying at this, like, <laughs> freezing hotel in, <laughs> in, a, in Campbelltown called the Argyle Arms. And uh, we were sleeping with hot water bottles between our legs. It was so damn cold, you know. Anyway, we went up to the house, and uh, Paul, it's the second time we went up there, I mean, Paul said, you know, I really miss miss playing with a band, and uh, I like you, the way you guys play, and uh, what do you think about putting a band together? And uh, I said, I'm, count me in. <laughs> Immediately, you know. Dancer. But he said, can I, can I let, you know, can I think about it? And, um, so anyway, I uh, we came back the next day, and he, and he said uh, that they decided not to uh, take that opportunity. Now that kind of threw Paul for a loop. Who would turn down an invitation to be in a band with Paul McCartney then, mm -hmm. at one of the highest times of his career? Uh, and so the, for years, Paul just thought, "What the hell?" He, he couldn't figure that out. And it was just a few years before. Uh, Hugh died that I was in New York with him and we were up at his pad and he pulled out his guitar and he was playing those parts to Uncle Albert and oh. we were just sitting in the living room I have a film of it I, I filmed it on my iPhone you know it's, it's one of my treasures but anyway he told me why he said no to that invite and it was because he had a, a marriage prior to Holly and he had two young kids and he couldn't just move to, and they, they were divorced and he couldn't just move to England and miss the kids growing up. Mm -hmm. So when I told this to Paul, you know what kind of a family man Paul is and was, especially. Uh, he went, it was like such relief came over him. I could really feel, oh my God. And I thought all of this weird stuff all of those years, like most of mm -hmm. us do. You know, when he finally found out the real reason, he went, oh that big sigh came in. So I was really pleased that I could do that and spend some time with you before he left. And what a um, great man he was, yeah. It's a shame he really couldn't, couldn't uh, be a part of this album, really, you know, have, yeah. have the whole family there. Spinoza, man, he just, he says, yeah, I got a home studio, I can do it. And he, <laughs> he remembered, dig this, 50 years later, he remembered all six different parts that he put on that record. And he put the same thing. If you listen to the new version of, of Just Another Day or Another Day, uh, it sounds like the record with a different singer. Because <laughs> it is just like the record with a different singer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait for that. That sounds absolutely crazy. So just going back to this to uh, Ram on them, 
your co-producer, Fernando, is he playing bass on this? Because I know he's quite a, a prolific bass yeah. player. I yeah. believe he is playing bass. I'm not quite certain. There's there's so many musicians. Fernando plays a lot of things, and uh, but I think it was him on bass on on that particular track. I'd have to. I don't I don't have it handy, uh, but it might have been him. It might have been uh, uh, Dan Rothschild. Uh, there were several other bass players too, so I'm not sure. But on this teaser that will be available, I think today. From Cherry Red, uh, there's a, a like 30 seconds of every song, and, and as the song comes up, it shows a track listing and all the musicians that are on that track, so you can see and hear who played uh, every instrument on on each recording. So I believe that that uh, it's a YouTube uh, video that's probably on Cherry Red's YouTube channel. I'm sorry if I if I can't be a little more. Oh definite. no, <laughs> I'm I'm generally trying to write uh, write 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 that down. But I believe this afternoon the announcement is coming out, and uh, you'll be able to see and hear, you know, clips of each song, and it's amazing. Right? <laughs> My God, we were as it was uh, rounding, you know, as it was uh, finishing up and stuff. I kept lo- listening to it and. Listening to it on different speakers in the car, and my big studio speakers, my little studio. I said, "Oh my God, this is good!" And then we sent it off to be mixed, and I said, "Oh my God, this is great!" Then we sent it off to be mastered, and I went, "Wow!" And Paul's heard it, and uh, Paul sent me. Oh yeah, he sent me a beautiful text just the other day. He he said, "Oh my God, you did a great job on this." He was he was he was well chuffed. He was. Has uh, has Percy Thrillington heard it though? That's the real question. Who's that? Jumba uh, Thrillington. The, oh, uh, Percy Thrillington. Yeah, the big yeah, yeah. Guy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he likes it, that's the that, that's that's the important that's thing. Funny. That's funny. We had we had a cat when we lived in Scotland. And his name was Percy. Oh, Percy. Uh, you know you, you know what? That's that that one little fact is the highlight of the entire interview. I think that <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't the first album you've produced or co-produced. Uh, the first being mm-hmm. Night After Night by Bill Quartman in 77? Yeah, no, I, I did Billy Joel's first record too. Uh, I wasn't credited for it, but Michael Lang asked me to take a listen to this new artist. And wow. and, he, and I, he gave me a tape and I went, yes, I like this guy, let's go. Put us in the studio and uh, we started recording Cold Spring Harbor. And I had like four tracks done, and it was really fun. Billy was young and brilliant, and uh, and right in the middle of it, Paul called and he said, "I need you back in London." And uh, I said, "Can it wait for a week or two till I finish the tracks at least?" And he says, "Are you in the band or not?" <laughs> and I said, "I'll be right there." <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <I'll>, uh... <laughs> and then another group that I produced was. Uh, I was living right after Wings. Henry and I had a band in San Francisco, and we were we were making a lot of records in San Francisco. And I uh, I met these kids in a band called Pablo Cruz, and uh, I said, "Would you guys? Why don't you get a record deal?" And they said, "We'd love to." And I said, "Well, come on, let's. I'll take you into the studio. And we'll we'll produce a demo." And I produced a demo for them. And uh, at that time, I didn't want to get into producing because it's a it's a lot of work. But uh, and I was busy, so I said I'll produce a demo and uh, we'll see what we can do. And my business manager sold them to A uh, and M, 
and they thanked me immensely. They wanted me to produce the record, but A&M put a, an in-house producer on it, and uh, they had a beautiful career. They still they still have some. And then Bill Quaitman, I was a I was a part of his organization. I, I just liked him as a new artist. I thought he had some uh, some something really unique. And Caleb Quay from uh, Hookfoot and and the Elton John band was the guitar player, and we also had Lenny Castro, the beautiful percussionist, with us. So it was a, we had a hell of a band, and we we produced the or I produced the album. I co-produced the album with a guy named John Stronach, and then we. Uh, we did some touring with it, and it was fun. And then, like some artists, he didn't stay on top of it, and it kind of just fizzled away. It's, it's too bad. He had a good opportunity. Ah, but sometimes you get gigs that are worth revisiting 50 years later. So, you know, you, yeah. win, you win some, you lose some. Going yeah. back to um, your credits, though, because you're right. You had, um, I went through your Discogs profile, and Billy Joel, that album was not uh, on there. Something I did notice though was you have several albums credited to you as a session music, uh, as a session drummer during the run of Wings, like in the early seventies. So, were you okay to go and like do freelance no, work? As it no, I, I did no other albums uh, during my time with Wings. Ah, that's interesting. Uh, that happened like Donovan. You might be referring to that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously there, there, was, uh, there was McGear as well. But, um, oh, McGear, that was, yeah. yeah. But, but that's that was a Wings to... album, yeah. Yeah, that was Paul's brother. So, so yes, that happened during the Wings period. And Denny Lane's record wasn't that. It might have been Wings tracks that were used on Denny's record. But the only outside of Wings or Immediate Family <laughs> record that I did uh, while in Wings was when I, as soon as I left Wings, uh, Donovan, uh, who was it? Oh, Andrew Lug Oldham. He was producing a Donovan record. Okay. And he asked me if I would come play on it, and I said I'd love to. And so I did a record with, with uh, Donovan that was very sweet. I liked that. I believe Henry was on it, too. And then we did a, I did a record with an American musician from the Leon Russell gang called... Uh, Don Preston, and we did that at Apple. It was my only time ever being in Apple Studios, and uh, that was really nice. And then I, I was called by, I'd gone back to the States. I'd left Wings, and I was in New York. My father had just passed away, and I got a call from um, Lou Reisner. Lou Reisner was a guy that put out that special edition of the Who's Tommy Opera. It had a big steel ball on the cover. I don't know if you remember that, but it was with the London Symphony and a whole host of, of uh, people. Well, uh, Lou called me to uh, do a live performance uh, at the Rainbow Theater in Finsbury Park. It was during the power cuts. Oh. And I remember the London Symphony says, unless you get this, they had gloves on and hood, uh, hoods and stuff, you know, they said, unless you get this theater up to 65 degrees, we're not even taking our instruments out of our cases. It was it was cold. It was cold, man. <laughs> but I got to meet Keith Moon and hang out with Keith Moon and Rhett Peter Sellers and Mary Clayton and all that. So we did four nights uh, of live performance, which I would pay a lot of money to get a recording of that. I'm sure it was recorded and filmed, and I can't find it anywhere on the Internet. So uh, any, all you fans out there, 
It was 1974, Rainbow Theatre, Finsbury Park, the reenactment with the London Symphony of the Tommy Opera. Find that for me and I'll send you a nice fat check. (laughs) And while I was there, Joe Cocker heard I was in town and Joe invited me over to Battersea to the Who studio. And uh, he was recording an album called Put Out the Light. And I went in and Nicky Hopkins and a bunch of those guys were in there, all my old buddies. And, and I recorded a bunch of tracks with Joe that night. Unfortunately, the, there was the producer. Everybody was kind of high. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff going on in that recording session. And uh, apparently the producer recorded some of the tracks that I was on in the wrong key. <laughs> So when they took him back to the States to, uh, to finish him up, he had to redo him. So uh, I was on the record, but you can maybe, I don't know, one or two tracks or something. But that, that was the only outside recordings that I did uh, while it was three, or three, three years or so with Paul. At least it's the uh, producer getting too high rather than the producer thinking the, the band is too high, like on Red Rose Speedway, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Joe was, I remember Joe... Oh, he was so beautiful. I love that man so much. I miss him dearly, and Henry. But Joe was doing va- vocals from the floor. He, he was afraid to stand up. He was, he was Foster's Lager and other substances. But he was saying, just put out the light. Boom, down, down. Yeah, put out the light. Boom, down. It was awesome. Oh, my God. That's not... Oh. He had some serious, serious giggles. No, that'll that'll definitely be in a, a Netflix ad- adaptated series. I'm I'm sure. Right. Uh, let's go back to to your your new album though. Um, yeah, I only got a few more minutes. Let's go. Cool. Okay. There were some bonus tracks on there that weren't on the original RAM. Are these no. personal favorites? Did you want these to be originally on the album or? No, it is the original album plus the first single. I thought there was more. I thought there was an extra song than that. Um, no. No. Uh, th- th- this is getting cut out. I'll tell you that for free. Uh, do, 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 do. Hang on, track this. Here we go. Here um, we go. Another day. Oh, woman, oh, why? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Oh, I thought we did thirteen plus the two. Uh, another day and woman, oh, why? Yes. the first single. Yes. Have this. Oh, oh. No, that's just showing off. That's just showing off now. Oh, <laughs> that was in the uh, in this one. You know, uh, I guess that came com- from the box. Comparing my copy of Ram with yeah. Denny. Oh my gosh! That's, this is the box set, I think. Uh, you know, the one that came out a year or two ago. So yeah, do you do you ever get do you get sent them whenever they get released? All the stuff that you're featured on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, but this one. See, the, the, the new Ram album, Ram On, uh, it starts the same. It starts Too Many People, Three Legs, Ram On. Uh, then we do Dear Boy, Uncle Albert, and Smile Away. That's, that's side one. And then we go over to Heart of the Country, Monkbury Moon Delight, Eat at Home, Long Hair Lady, Ram On, The Back Seat of My Car. And then after that, that's 12, but there's supposed to be another track in there. I don't... I don't know what I'm missing. Yeah, so a, that, that was the original a, record. And yeah. then we did the single, Another Day, yeah. and Woman O Why, the B-side. And, oh, that's right, 
So that was 12 and 2, that's 14. Then the 15th track was like a, uh, a revisit, a weird thing on too many people. So there's 15 tracks on this, but fif the 15th track, too many people, is just like a, a, like a weird jam or something without lyrics and all that, you know. Just one of those the way Paul would do some uh, some weird. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the I mean, add another. I mean, what's better than one Paul McCartney reprise? A second one, you know. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, reprise. That's the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, and then and then chucking a six song medley where two of the songs were, were were written ten years prior in his mom's house, and he's good to go. That's they're not finished. Okay, let's do a medley. <laughs> My gosh, that's so, that's Red Rose Speedway. Unfinished um, songs. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what? I know that it's very vogue now also to 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 love wildlife and red bows. I I've loved those albums since they got before it was cool to like those those two albums. And power cut, it might be an unfinished song. It's one of my favorite moments in the in That's the whole Pretty movie. nice, yeah. Oh. A couple of last quick ones. Have you watched uh, both uh, the the Bruce McMahon show that came out recently? Which one? The Bruce McMouse show. It was the. Oh, I did. I did. You know, Paul sent me the box, um, and I I was blown away. I immediately picked up the phone and called him. I said, "How, how did you salvage that concert footage? Because I remember it. I have board mix tapes and fans that would tape it and send it to me, and it was." It was a major task to repair the intonation and stuff. He made it sound like a, like we really knew what we were doing. <laughs> but and I said, "You're a genius. You're, you're a rock band in that show, though. You're not a you're not a pop rock band. You are a Thank rock you. band in that. And Thank you. It's like it's like the big secret of like the early of like the early seventies, isn't it? Like, oh no, no guys, like, d don't worry about Mary had a little lamb. There's things like the mess and. You know yeah. stuff like that, and it's you know it's just brilliant. not, it's not brilliant. Yeah. And I had never seen that stuff because it you know it was just sitting in the can, and I'm so glad that he revisited it for that box set. I th thought that was one of the, the the hippest thing, and all of the live footage from the '72 uh, Wings Over Europe tour that was repaired and 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 made presentable again, so we could release it. Man, I was. Mm -hmm. it, it just did my heart so great to see that stuff again, man, because we had become a band. Yeah, no, the way you guys do Wildlife Live, where you add that extra coda at the end, I could feel my heart breaking. It's a shame that that's not on the album, but you guys took so many songs and you just, slight tweaks, it just made yeah. this, this incredible live suite. Like When I think of Wildlife, I always think of the first show we did and I think it was Nottingham, the university tour. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Linda starts a song. And, and, you know, Paul says, let's do, okay, here we go. There's wildlife. And Linda looks around like, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul comes over and he shows her, oh, yeah, here we go now. One, two. <laughs> That's what I remember when I think of wildlife. But, uh, yeah, the, the the film that was going on behind us in the European tour, uh, the animals, the, the the horses and all of that. Oh, it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And when the lights go out and come back on again, you know. Yeah. Now, um, it's probably because I'm, I'm also researching one hand clapping at the moment, the, uh, the, the one he did in 74. 
Um, something I've come across that I didn't know. A lot of that is self-funded, and that's why it's able to be left in the vaults for that for that long. I guess. Like I'm not sure on that. Yeah, I was gone. You know, I left August of '73, so. Well, I, I was just wondering if, if you knew whether Bruce McMouse, the whole that whole tour footage, whether that was self-funded or. Oh well, that was. You know, we were in this. We were out at Elstree, I think it was, uh, doing some bits on. I'll never forget recording. Uh, well, we recorded some tracks live for that, so uh, so some of that was lip synced. I don't know how the hell he did it, but I remember being at this the film lot. And they were filming. They had me standing on a huge stage with, with, you know, 50 attendants. There were camera guys and hair and makeup and all that. And I'm talking to an imaginary mouse on my hand. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and I'd never tried acting before, you know. And the director would say, that's good. Can we have another, please? And I went, no, that, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> I, <laughs> So self-conscious, it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. But uh, that was uh, probably the only time that I was with Wings. Now, I've never told this to anybody. We were in a little dressing room off to the side, and they pulled Linda out to go film her on something. Now it's just the lads. Paul, Henry, Denny, maybe Ian, Ian and Trevor were there, too, the, our sound guys. But it was just the lads. And Paul, uh, he cut loose with some of the old Beatles stories about what it was like, really. <laughs> it was the only time in all of those really? years. Yeah. Wow. Of course, the acetates for Red Rose Speedway were largely down to you saving them and looking after them for all those yeah. years, which is you're like, if I ever hear someone say, oh, you've got to throw that old rubbish out, it's taken up clutter. No, 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 no. no <laughs> that's in the vault. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, I only have three of the four discs because originally Red Row was going, to, was going to be a double record. So it had side A, side B on one, and then side one of the second side. But I sold, I didn't see it sell. I, I donated one of those four records <laughs> to a Beetlefest auction for the fans. I wanted somebody else to enjoy it. I didn't have any idea that this one day would be very valuable. It was back in the 80s. Mm. And, and some fan out there has uh, as an acetate from EMI of, uh, and, and, and my love was on that, that, that particular one. So if, if that guy ever... Uh, Wants to get rid of it, I'd, I'd like to purchase it back so I had the complete set for my archives. I would love to launch a, uh, a campaign for that. You know, can we can we get enough money to have at it? I'll this, give you a finder's fee. You find it. This acetate, no, because it, it's just wrong that they're not all together. You know, it feels yeah, it feels, it feels well. I had no. I'm a dummy. <laughs> uh, that was my bad. I should have. I should have. Uh, well, at the time, nobody thought that this was. It's done, it's done, you know. It's, but it wasn't done. Oh, no, I mean, I can't forgive my parents' generation for throwing single sleeves away. I'm like, what? You threw the, sle the, you threw the sleeves away? Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking, especially since none of the original sleeves for, like, another day exist anymore. It's always just the generic black sleeve, yeah. But, you know, you can tell your, your listeners that, you know, it's, I've kept them 50 years now, so... You know, I may be at that point in my life where uh, 
I'll pass them on to somebody who's going to enjoy them as much as I did because I didn't play them, but just knowing that I had them in my in my possession really meant a lot to me. But you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to be. Uh, you get all you, you got to sh shed some stuff. So uh, mm -hmm. so I'm going to make some fans pretty happy one of these days. Now that the 50th anniversary is coming about this year, mm -hmm. it might be a good time to do it. Well, there are. 50th anniversaries of both Wildlife and Red Rose Speedway coming up. Yeah. Are you are you tempted at all to get back in the studio and redo them? Well, yes. One second, Mike. No problem. <laughs> Fernando, I'm uh, I can't. I'm finishing up an interview. Uh, I'm I'm speaking to Fernando on on a Twitter actually. I'll I'll probably be speaking with him later. <laughs> he's, just, he's just oh my god. There's all kind of happy Ram on day. There's all kind of stuff. Uh, Here's something from PaulMcCartney.com. All kinds of stuff is going on. It's still happening, I have, folks. I have to read this. But I have to run. So yes. I have to run because we have – he's on his way over. we got got back-to-back interviews all day. It's going to be a big day. And it's Ramon Day. Yeah. Not Ramon. Yes. Ramon. <laughs> Phil Ramon, yes. You know what? Thank you so much for this, for, for this chat. This is My really, pleasure. It's really meant a lot to me as like a – it's felt like I've been a lifelong Wings fan. It's just been the last 10 years of my life. But, you know, I'm glad to do that. doing this show for like five years now and to have you come on, it's uh, it's definitely a notch on my bedpost, as it were. But I am going to I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you go. You're a busy man. Thank you so much for coming on, Danny. Hopefully we'll speak again I'm soon. I'm well chuffed. <laughs> Top of the morning. <laughs> great, great to see all of you and uh, have a wonderful day. And remember, ram on. Peace and love. Peace and love. Okay,
After a celebration with the natives, where Rupert meets Sailor Sam, they set off the next day across the sea. <laughs> 